Well, hey there, and welcome back. You're listening to another episode of the Lifestyle Entrepreneur Podcast, and I'm your host, Michelle Reese. Now, I hope you guys are in a place where you can listen in closely, and if you're not, listen anyways, but save this episode because you are going to want to come back to it. As many of you know, I've been in real estate for over 20 years now, and a big part of what I've done has been in teaching, coaching, and managing realtors, so I kind of get the struggles that you know we all face around business. Now, as a fellow mompreneur, I totally get the struggles that you face when it comes to trying to raise a family and run a business. In fact, in a recent poll I did with my realtors, I asked what was one of the things that they were most struggling with in their business. And the majority answered work-life balance. In an earlier podcast episode, I think it was episode number four to be exact, I shared my philosophy about work-life harmony and how I don't actually believe that this so-called balance exists. But what I didn't share in great detail was the resulting mommy guilt or parent guilt that comes as a result of trying to reach this idea of perfection or trying to be the good mom or the good parent. This is why I am so honored and so excited to have today's special guest with me. Alison Schaefer is one of Canada's most notable parenting experts. She's a family therapist, a best-selling author, and resident parenting expert on many of the popular shows that I know we all watch, like The Marilyn Dennis Show, Global Morning, The Parenting Show, and CBC Radio. She's also the resident parenting expert for HuffPost Canada. Now, I learned about Allison many moons ago when my children were very young. I had stumbled upon an Adelirian nursery school in my community, and I immediately felt this connection to the philosophy that they shared. And I've been following Allison ever since. And I will admit, I was a bit starstruck having her on the show today. I could have talked with Allison for hours, and it still would not have been enough to cover all of the topics and the questions that I know we all have about parenting, about relationships, and about that looming guilt that we tend to create and carry around with us. But I do know that what we did touch upon today is going to help shift how you look at your life, especially when it comes to getting rid of that guilt. So I will not delay anymore. Let's jump right into the call. Allison, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, what a pleasure. I am so happy that you invited me on. Thank you for the work and contributions you're making. Thank you. Are you kidding? I am extremely honored. Now, I will say for our listeners that I have been following you for a number of years. I had a really um, great opportunity to stumble upon an Adelirian nursery school in my neighborhood when my kids were very, very young and learned about you through, through there and have been following along ever since. I love what you stand for. I, I, I wish I could bottle you up <laughs> and take, me, take you with me and, and, and kind of have that little voice in the back of my head telling me, no, this is how you should respond to your kids. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm really honored because you are a very well-established author and speaker and, and you just do amazing, amazing things. And I know my listeners are going to get so much uh, out of this conversation with you. Wonderful. Yeah. Now, I did see you yesterday at um, a seminar talk that you did. And I, and I will just give that little preamble that a, 
I wish we could, I think you're going to have to be a repeat guest on the show. How's that? Because, oh yeah, let's already <laughs> set up the next call. Let's do it because We're there's so much goodness that you shared yesterday that I would love to bring to our listeners, but I know we have a bit of an agenda today to talk about, but before we do, not many people might know about Adlerian, the Adlerian concept and, and philosophy and psychology and wondering maybe we can just start there and you can share a little bit. I know you've got a bit of a familial connection with um, the Adlerian uh, psychology and, and philosophy. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit about that just to set the framework. Yeah, sure. It's always good. The Oh, the author's origin story. Yes. <laughs> yes. But well, we all want to know the success story behind it, right? <laughs> so it's very interesting. So mo- to your point, uh, most people do not know the name Alfred Adler, to which Adlerian psychology um, is is uh, his whatever brand, if you want to call yeah. it, modern parlance. Um, but Alfred Adler, Carl Jung, everybody knows him from Myers-Briggs, yes. and Sigmund Freud, everybody knows him. <laughs> from, uh, so those three men uh, were all intellectual sparring partners at the same time at the turn of the century when uh, the old version of psychology was really being modernized and brought into the to more the formal four that we would know it today. And, um, and so Adlerian psychology is, although be it old, I don't want people to think that it's not relevant to, you know, kids that are on Fortnite and, <laughs> and, you know, fentanyl and modern problems. Um, because really it was, a, it's a, it's a philosophy for, for life and living and it's principle based. And it means that it can really be applied to, to any modern situation. And so I just happened to be very fortunate in that my grandmother was an early childhood educator and she became friends with one of Adler's student protégés, oh. whose name is Dr. Rudolf Dreikers. And he wrote the book Children, the Challenge, which yes. is still considered today by the Library of Congress to be one of the most seminal writings in uh, child guidance literature. So uh, this is a, uh, they became friends and much like you're doing today with podcasts, um, he really gave the, the call to everyone, each one teach one. If you learn something that helps your family, uh, don't just sit there and consume it yourself. Be generous with it. Teach others, start others, get a parent study group going, you know. And so my grandmother and my father founded the um, original Adler Institute here in Toronto where clinicians could get training, teachers could get training, parents could get parent education. And uh, they started spreading it out to the Toronto and Ontario community. So from that, as a kid, you know, I was dragged around to conferences and we were the demonstration kids so that <laughs> counselors would practice because my brothers and I fought like cats and dogs. Like some kids get on stage and then they're really polite because everyone's watching. Nah, not us. Oh, I love we, it. We were sure to put on a good fight in front of the public. My parents <laughs> Keep were it so, real. <laughs> my parents were so courageous, you know, like to, same thing. Like when you're in the profession, you think your kids have to be so perfect, but there no kids are perfect. No parents are perfect. And it's like, let's just all help each other figure out what we're doing in this crazy world with our kids so they were very courageous and I have all these early memories but honestly um I went on to get a science degree I um I actually interestingly enough actually one of my careers was to be a real estate agent I know know. oh get out you would have been fantastic (laughs) well I, I I tell people I had my license but um you know I uh that that doesn't mean I sold any real estate. I, <laughs> not good at sales. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Very good at coming over and having coffee at your house. I love it. Um, anyways, uh, but it was only when I had kids that I started to like get stymied by. Well, I was actually pretty good in the beginning. I got through sleep training. I got through cracked nipples. I got through that basic stuff. <laughs> 
But once they actually started like having tantrums and like really truly misbehaving, and I was like, ooh, like what did my parents do? I really, I had no memory of that time in my life. You know, I'm just too young. So that's when I actually started digging into what my parents had been teaching in my living room, they had parent study classes and I was the babysitter to the kids, but I like, I don't know what they were teaching as curriculum. So I started to do my own research as a mom and I was like, whoa, this is why my family did this. And this is why my parents reacted like that and whatever. And I, I just got this incredible aha moments that was like finding a cure for cancer. And I, it changed my life. It changed my life, changed my career. Um, it changed my parenting. And I just thought, my gosh, more people need to know about this. I would be selfish if I didn't share this information. That is um, awesome. So that's sort of how my, my career began. And, and it's just been unfolding ever since. And amazingly unfolding. Uh, definitely don't be modest there because you've done miraculous work and amazing work. I see you travel around the world and give talks and are a part of, you know, conferences. And I think I, I'm so glad you shared that because a lot of people, um, question, you know, how do you know when it's your purpose? How do you know when you're really doing what you need to be doing? And I, I just love that it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, you, the seed was planted, but you mm-hmm. had to realize when that time was right for you, that this is really what you wanted to sink your teeth into. And so how was it, if you don't mind me asking before we jump into everything, how was it for you now coming to this realization that you do have some powerful tools to share and you're raising your family at the same time? Well, so, um, very true. Um, and I was super ambitious. So I, uh, I had young children. Um, I had left a career in, um, fundraising. I was a, I was a not, I was a direct mail expert. I worked for the MS society doing their direct mail campaigns to take my mat leave. And, uh, although I never went back to the formal workplace, I started consulting. And so, and then I, I also acquired a, a, a list management company, so I was consulting, I had a list management company, and then of course I was raising my kids and teaching part-time at the Sidlerian. I, I taught at kinder school, got a lot of, um, and yeah. if, that's, if that's not ambitious enough, folks, I decided to go back to school for my master's degree. Um, so I'm teaching classes, I'm running two companies, I'm self-employed, wow. I, I'm raising kids. Um, so, so if I, anybody knows the struggle, you yeah. know the struggle. Oh yeah, no, I've been, I've, yeah, I've walked this yeah. path. Um, but I remember, and this was really important to me. I remember, uh, an interview with Dr. Spock's kids because Dr. Spock was like the big U S parenting guru for so many years. And his kids, uh, said after his passing that he was so busy helping the world raise their kids that he was never at home to raise them. Wow. And they had deep regrets that he couldn't really be a father to them that he was so busy being a father to everybody else. And I thought, wow, I will never make that mistake. Um, So, but I also don't want to confuse the other notion that Adlerian psychology shared, which is about um, modeling, modeling to your kids. I didn't want to model workaholism, Mm -hmm. but I did want to model being a full human being. And what I meant by that was it's important for people to know that part of the task of being a human being is to find your strengths and your talents and find where life's your, and I'm stealing someone's quote, you know, where, where do your strengths and talents meet life's yearning and longing and find, Oh, I love that. And find yourself in that intersection. So I wanted my kids to see that I was a full person that yes, I was a mother 
And yes, I was a partner to a husband. And yes, I was a sibling to my family. Um, and But yes, I was a community member involved with my church and involved in nonprofit work still. Um, and I could have a career. And I wanted them to see me as a full person, not somebody who stopped their life to help them put on their shoes. <laughs> I know. And we're guilty of that. We are. And so I didn't want to lie about what a full rounded life looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did it. I feel I did it in a way that I could balance my values. And there's many things that I said no to because, um, I, I did want to be around and, and, and fully, uh, available in the sense of not just a corpse in the house. I mean, mindfully around, but I was also completely fine. I think one of the best things I did was when I went back to school, it meant that my husband of the time, I'm divorced now, but at the husband of the time really had to step in in a way that I was such an ambitious parent. Had I not exited myself from the house, I would have been the overdoing parent. <laughs> it was like saving myself from being hyper. So, so it meant my kids have a, have a little park they call Adler Park. It's not Adler Park. It's the park my husband took them to when I went to classes on the weekend. Oh, and if nice. I would have been around, I would have eclipsed his presence in the family because he's more of an introvert. Um, oh, you know. interesting. So I had to kind of, in a sense, I went to school or I went off to teach courses and he really stepped up. And I think that was a real value add for the relationship that he built with my kids. But I didn't do the international travel. I didn't do, there's many things that I, that I didn't do. And while I was available in the day and to go on school trips and some of these other ways that I could participate, it meant that I was more absent at night when I had to teach classes at night, but I did things locally. Now I do things globally. I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the same engagements then that I would now that my kids are grown so I was very mindful about what I was willing to give to other families before giving to my own. And I always checked in to make sure that my own family was solid and good before, you know, yeah. sharing, sharing the balance with other people. Well, you said, you said a few interesting things there. First was the uh, insight around how had you not stepped back a little bit, your husband at the time would not have had the role he had um, within the family unit and with his, his children. And it's, I, you know what we, I see that so often it's like, this is our job, right? The mom's job, the, you got this badge of honor and we're going to hoard the the whole parenting aspect of everything. And we don't realize that there is another parent there. So uh, to that point, I just want to get really clear dads. Um, and I want to also be very clear. I know there's mums and mums and dads and dads and, yes. you know, so, so we're talking about multiple family uh, things here. I, I, I default to mum and dad from old language history. I don't mean to be exclusive around that, but, but the idea that when we look at the trends, the dads are stepping up in a bigger way than they ever have before. And they want to be engaged in parenting. They want, they want to be um, more fully engaged in that aspect and enjoy that part of their life more than any time ever in history. So I applaud them for that. But when we still look at division of labor and, and how the tasks actually play out, moms still, or, the, or let's say the primary parent, still tends to take the dominant managerial role and assign tasks to the other parent. Yep. Meaning it's not the same as co-parenting when you go to school and say, now feed them a grilled cheese and make sure they have a nap at two and make sure that they pack this and you didn't do that right. They're not people, they're, they, 
your partner should not be someone who is just exacting your orders where you check in after with a job evaluation to see whether or not, Oh, come on. You were, you didn't put some block on whatever. (laughs) Fail, fail. (laughs) And, and so one person tends to take on that role. And again, it just tends to start heavily falling on, you know, from the time you're doing the prenatal classes and going to the, the, um, obstetrician and doing all one person tends to get the benefit of education um, if they carried the child uh, because that's who we direct the conversation to. And the other person has to hear it secondhand. And right from kind of the the get-go, the person who spends more time, which is often the person on mat leave in the beginning few months, learns, you know, oh, they don't like it if you rub their head that way. Oh, they don't, you know, you need to put them on their tummy to get rid of the gas bubble. And suddenly we already have this more knowledge position. Yeah. And it's really easy for the other person to get discouraged and just sort of say like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm failing. You're doing better at this than me. Why don't you just do it? So we have to realize that we often, in quiet, subtle ways, send discouraging mess- messages to our other parent such that they do acquiesce to us and step back. We, we, in a sense, kind of almost push them out. You're right. And you know what? You kind of touched upon that yesterday, not in the parenting, co-parenting role, but how we do that with our children and not really looking at them as capable human beings. Oh, yeah. And we, we almost, um, we paralyze them with, with you know, we, we kind of just cut off any opportunity they have to be contributing members of the family. We have very high standards. When, when we have this idea that parenting is important to us, our family life is important, and then we create this vision in our mind of what it should look like, anything off expectation, when reality and expectation don't align, the bigger that gap, the bigger our unhappiness. And what ends up happening is we think the solution to that is to push reality up to our expectation and we get pressureful on our partner we get critical of our children and what i would suggest is is that most of us are doing just fine mm. that we got to embrace good enough parenting good enough children and lower expectation to meet reality rather than pushing reality up oh. to what are often incredibly lofty expectations you know we're humble human beings stumbling along doing our best and we need to embrace where we are at any given moment. That is so good. And you know, that, that brings me then, um, great segue then into the sort of main topic that I wanted to talk about was this, this mommy guilt, parent guilt. And you talk a lot about that in your book, Breaking the Good Mom Myth, um, where you share the whole sort of cycle around perfection, that aim for f- perfection. What is the good mom, the perfect mom, how guilt plays into all of that. Would you mind sharing a little bit uh, about that uh, for us? Well, for sure. So, I mean, maybe people haven't even thought about the idea that we have expectation and a vision. That qui- If we just acknowledge that, we quietly do have a picture of what life should. Absolutely. And we sh- should all over ourselves, if you get what I mean. <laughs> Put a load of should. Yes, there is. A load of should on all of us. Um, so we need to to really visit that idea and then notice what feeds into it. So I mean, I I love tech. I love social media. It's been a big part of why I've been able to spread my message. But if you don't recognize that when you are on there, picking up people's Pinterest pictures, picking up people's Instagram stories, and seeing this this picture of what life should look like in the family, that um we start to compile this very um, uh, complicated image 
that somehow we're supposed to work a full-time job and have this fulfilling career. Oh, but, but we're also supposed to be at all our kids' hockey games. Oh, and we're also supposed to make enough money that we can go to, on a hot vacation. Oh, but we're also supposed to like not be in debt. And oh, we're, you know. Yeah, you know, there, there's something that they, they said. It's, it's as if we're programmed to run a business like we don't have kids and raise our kids like we don't have to run a business. Like there's yeah. this, this divide and it doesn't, it doesn't work. Well, so what we end up doing is we, we cherry pick. This is the problem. We look at this family and we say, well, she's able to get up in the morning and make some chai organic shake for her <laughs> kids. I should be able to do that too. And look at this woman over here. She's got a, a company that she runs on her own. She still makes it to Pilates class. I should be able to too. And we pick, cherry pick each of these positive attributes or behaviors, assuming that they all occur in one person. They mm. don't. That person that went to the Pilates class had to say no to something else. That person who made the chai latte had to say no to something else because we all have the same 24 seven hours in the day. Mm-hmm. And we all have a set of values that we have to decide what's worth saying yes to and what's worth saying no to. And if you don't fully align yourself with your ex- separate from external inputs decide what is your priorities around your values. The closer you live to your values, the more you're willing to say no to those extraneous things that aren't in line with your values, the, the better you're able to just organize your own uh, um, time. And I, there's things that I said no to, to my kids, where I would also say, because I also believe that you can shoulder some of this. That although I can't go, so for example, I go to this annual conference every year, falls on my daughter's birthday. I didn't go to a single one of my, she's 25. I haven't been to any of her birthdays. You could say, what a horrible mother. But you could, but my daughter also knows that she's super proud. And I've actually taken her to this conference. So I guess I did go to one birthday because I brought her to the conference. (laughs) You Um, brought it with you. Yeah. She, she, she actually co-presented with me. Oh, I love that. You know, in, in a sense, she has my blessings because she, because she sees the conflict, but she says, you know, mom, what you contribute to all those other people, we can celebrate on another day. Wow. Um, so that's huge. It is. It that is, is huge. huge. I get it. I, my daughter and I share the same birthday and not that I've ever consciously made a choice to say I'm celebrating my birthday instead of yours, but there've been times that I've had work events that have landed on that. And the guilt that I felt sitting at that event that it didn't feel right for me because I did want to make that a priority. Um, and I chose, I chose differently. Okay, so hold on there. I'm going to stop you right there because there, that's how the guilt works. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, guilt is good intentions we don't intend to keep. I'm going to say, say that, that again. again. I know it's a deep concept. Yeah. Here. Guilt, feelings, yeah. are good intentions we don't intend to keep. And what oh, I mean, yeah. I know this is going to hurt a little bit, me and Michelle. So, but once <laughs> everyone's witnessing this, that's awesome. So, but, 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 what, but once we understand the psychological trickery that we play on ourselves, it also allows us to let it go. And what I mean by that is, it, it, another way of saying it is, it allows us to continue acting badly while keeping ourselves in a high opinion of ourselves. Mm. So you'd like to have the high opinion that I would be the mother who would be at every single thing for everything my kid did, mm-hmm. but I'm not going, I've chosen not to go, but in, I'm going to feel bad about it. So now I still get to think of my mom as that good mom who would have. Oh gosh. <laughs> do you see the element? It is a I personal, do. It, is an, it is a way of inflating our worth while doing the thing that we 
don't want it, right? So I'll get, like, I would always, this is where I felt guilty. I didn't feel so guilty around the parenting, but I feel so guilty that I wouldn't see my mother-in-law because I would think, like, I should visit her more. But I don't want to think of myself as a bad daughter-in-law. So instead right. of going seeing her, I would just beat myself up and feel bad about it so I could still feel like a good daughter-in-law. I get so it. Once I started to understand this, I realized, you know, I don't have to have a low opinion of myself. I just need to embrace this is all I'm willing to do on my value system. Mm. But that does not mean I'm a, I think you, you saw in the, um, in the workshop, we talked about the idea that our human worth, and again, this is slow down and listen, people, because this is a big, <laughs> I'm throwing you another big one. This is a goodie. <gasps> Your human worth was given to you the day you were born. And you cannot increase or decrease anyone's human worth. You are a human being by the fact that you were born and you have value based on the fact that you are one of the multitude of unique creations that will never come again on this planet. And you do not need to earn your worth. We are human beings, not human doings. That's huge. It's very huge. So I realized that the idea that I would have some measuring scale that a better person would go visit their mother-in-law, a better mother would go to their every kid event. There's no worse, good, better, besting. That is an artificial measuring rod that creates psychic exhaustion Mm -hmm. of constantly trying to prove ourselves. So when we can just settle down around that and stop beating ourselves up in order to make ourselves, in a sense, feel better, Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to go, but I'm going to whip myself <laughs> badly over it. What a waste of energy. You've already decided not to go. So yeah. why not just say, I love you. It's important. I'm sad I can't go. I'm, I have gratitude that you understand that I have uh, conflicts. Um, there's all kinds of other emotions you can put around it. Right. Not, but not guilt, not punishment, you know, that, 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 that's, that's, um, so this is a learned behavior then. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of people will talk about, you know, whatever Jewish guilt or Christian guilt. <laughs> or like we got, we pick a religion. They all have right. their version they of it. They all have it. They all got their version of it, you know? And, um, and so I will catch myself and if I'm starting to beat myself up, I, I do say to myself, don't, don't, don't try to be better than you are. You're not, you don't have to prove your worth to anybody. Make your decisions based on good decision-making, based on living your values and knowing that other people can shoulder some of the load. So mm-hmm. you're right. I can't always be there. I will do my best to be there when it's important. Yeah. I love it. And so uh, the, maybe you can talk a bit about the, you, you've already touched upon it, but the perfectionism. We, especially now, there are, you know, social media groups on Facebook, um, organizations, network empowerment groups, and, and there seems to be this, you know, how you, this is how you can be the perfect person, like take care of the self-care, and this is what you should be doing. So it goes back to all the should-haves, the should-have, could-have, would-haves. Yeah. Um, how does perfection fit into the guilt? So perfectionism, um, again, gives merit to the idea that there's... I'm um, so sorry. Oh, my goodness, my dog. Of course you have a Daddy, dog. Daddy, come here. Come here. You're a real human being. In I'm a real human life. being, and she's going to be on the podcast. <laughs> awesome. I love dogs on the podcast. Yeah. Um, so so I... And, and there should be a baby crying in the background. You should right. Actually, you should but, just actually take that in. Even though your kids are older. <laughs> Let's reverse a few years and that's exactly what it would have happened. Yeah, in. Real, real life. 
Um, and so the difference between um, perfectionism kind of gives the idea that I'm only going to allow myself to give myself the moniker of being okay when I hit perfection. So my value only comes when I do things perfectly all the time, right from the gate. And, and perfectionism sees anything sub-perfect as being somehow um, uh, uh, a demerit point on our worth. Mm. And so that is really crippling because what ends up happening is people don't want, people want to land on perfect immediately and they feel really psychologically uncomfortable when they're not perfect all the time. So the, the replacement for that is we can't get to this state, whether, whether that's the marathon runner, the, uh, you know, the self-employed person with a million dollar career, whatever it might be. You can't get there unless you journey through a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. That if we put our focus on, I am looking to grow, there's nothing wrong with wanting to better oneself so long as we focus on effort improvement and the merit of the task in hand. Again, it goes back to this idea. You can have the million-dollar job. You can go to the Pilates class. You can do all of those things. You are not elevated as a human being. You don't get into the pearlier gates faster. You don't get triaged at the hospital faster. You're still just a humble human who happens to have achieved all these wonderful things, which are goals, which should be celebrated. Right. But at the end of the day, you still have to put your socks on one at a time like everyone else. <laughs> you still have to digest food and have a poop. You, 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 don't, you don't get royalty status. Right. So, so, um, so when we just get focused on what are the needs of the situation, what needs to be done, what's a value-based intention um, that would be helpful, and, and get away from prestige and ego and status and merit and get busy with what's important, it frees us up to put energy into actually developing ourselves. Yeah. But it also and- means if you fall short and you fail, there's, there's no, you're not being, it's not, it doesn't come with the cost of lack of prestige. So, yeah. you know, I'll, hear, I'll just give you a really great small example. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, so I, I, I run, I'm a runner, and um, my assistant decided she was going to take up running, and she downloaded this program. And so, of course, they give you like, oh, day one training, you have to do this many minutes and at this pace and whatever. We're going to run this half marathon together. And she was like, I hate running, ah, whatever. And I said, I, you know, I've actually never looked at my watch when I run. I just stop when I'm tired and walk until my breath is back. And then I run again. And, I, you know, Listen I Listen to it. your body. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, I get out into the trees and, I, you know, whatever. And she was hating every minute of it. And she goes, well, I have to finish this race. And she was all about her, her personal best and her time and whatever. And she was miserable the whole time. And so at the end, when as she goes, okay, I, I, I reached my goal. I did my half marathon. And she goes, I'm not running anymore. I hate it. I said, you're going to give up running after all that? And I said, why don't you just try just going for a run? Like, just go out for a run. Uh-huh. And she, said, she goes, I, I went for a run without my watch, without a pace clock, without a, 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 an upcoming event? She goes, do you know it's awesome? <laughs> well, I love it. That, how about that? <laughs> well, no expectations. And I think that's how, I think a lot of us, that's where we go. 
we do with ourselves and with our kids and you know and no parent wakes up in the morning to screw up their kids that's not what we you know that's not what we do but we put so much pressure on ourselves and then in turn project that onto our kids not knowing now so you you talked a lot about that yesterday which was amazing now you also um have a practice you 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 do consult with people you maybe you can share what you're seeing with people coming in. What sort of the, you know, there's always a one common thing, right? Um, With, with busy working moms, entrepreneurs, um, trying to juggle the work and the balance and the success and all of that. What, what is sort of that one thing that you are seeing right now? Uh, Well, for sure, parents are time strapped. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kids are time strapped. That there is a pressure cooker in the family. Home life should be the place where all the challenges of your outside world decompress and you come home to recover and you Mm -hmm. come home to be in those intimate primary relationships that refuel you. Um, I like to point to people to that, the the who gay movement that came out of, um, you know, the Netherlands. There's don't know it. Oh, people check it out. I'm saying it wrong. H Y I can't say I'm not H Y G G E. But their Yeah. Their whole culture is based around their, their word, huge, which is uh, comfort, family, intimacy, uh, connection, uh, comfort. It, it, and that's what our, our homes should be safe havens, where we come together non-judgmentally to do the simple things of playing together, bonding, communication. Um, and they're not. Our, we go out, we're stressed at work, we're stressed at school. And when we come home, then we fight about, you got to get your homework done. We fight about, we got to get you to Kumon. We fight about, and there's never any decompression. No. And the human species um, is about, we're, we're, we're wired to handle stress. But the idea of a stress response is we see a threat and then we recover. We see a stress and then we recover. But almost every single disease of the 21st century, cancer, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, has an overdriven stress response as its underlying root cause because mm-hmm. we don't de-stress. It's chronic. And so whole chronic stress, and, we, and as parents, we bring our busy life and we can't turn off work and we try to multitask by you know, answering our emails while the kids are playing Lego. And, and because we don't protect recovery time with our family, we create instead toxically pressured um, mentally absent parents who might be there in the flesh, but they're not mm-hmm. there in the spirit. And so we have pressured, emotionally vacuous or, or, or fraught houses. And, and that I see as being um, a, a toxic environment. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. So I, you can work hard. Go work hard. I worked hard. But I also learned how to be present with my kids in the moments that I had them. I think that's I think that's the key. It's the presence piece. It's you know we we seem to think that there's this thing called balance where one is going to be equal to the other, and that's not achievable. At least in my opinion, I have yet to find that achievable balance. You know that 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 balance yeah. point. But it, it is about recognizing that sometimes, yep, you know what, you might have a work commitment that takes priority, yeah. and be present with it because if you're trying to split yourself up and be in two places at once and be the perfect mom and the perfect you know entrepreneur. Um, that perfection is just going to end up leading to the guilt. And then we end up in that cycle again. So I hate the word balance again. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't like, the, I don't like the metaphor. I just, no. I think I like, I think a better metaphor is that life is a smorgasbord mm. and you hold the plate 
And you got to decide what you want to put on that plate. And I am not going to prescribe to you what your plate is going to look like. And if you want to load it up with mashed potatoes, go ahead. Um, you know, uh, everyone is going to load. But what I want you to know is that you have agency. Nobody is putting stuff on your plate. You are serving yourself. So the people that end up saying like, oh, I really should volunteer on the PTA. Well, I really should, whatever. And, and then you become resentful about how your time is being used because other people took it from you. Yeah. Don't give it away. Yeah. People I see not- that. I see parents resenting the kids yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So be honest with yourself. Yeah. If you feel like someone is putting a lump of, you know, something on your plate that you don't want. That's your moment to say, look at my plate. Do I like how it looks? Is this how I want to feed my life? I've only got the same 24 hours. I've only got the same life. Is this what I want on it right now? And it'll change. You get different, you know, you get to go back to the buffet. My, how I organized my life when my kids were little was very different than when they were teenagers. Is very different now that they're young adults. I've had to morph that um, as I've gone through different life phases. Mm-hmm. Um, but but to, to have a sense of not being a victim of your circumstances, to be an agent and a self-created person who's making hard decisions and knowing that your kids and your husband can shoulder some of the, if they're excited about your career and what you're doing and they want to see you happy, they can shoulder some of the, you know, I miss you, but I love what you're doing or right. I love that you're happy. Um, just do that in a really, in a really conscious, a conscious way. And, and when you are in whatever activity you're doing at the time, be in it, there. be yeah. in it and enjoy it and say, I made this choice. I might as well eat it up. That, you know what, that, what a great distinction between victim and agency that, that that's huge. That it's accountability. Yeah. Yeah. It's accountability to, to, to oneself. And again, so I, I just, again, speaking to the victim mentality, like, uh, in my family practice, you're saying examples from my family practice. Like people will say like, well, you know, I couldn't possibly do that because X, Y, and Z. There's always some excuse on why we can't do things. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the really courageous people, the really courageous people who said, you know what? Um, like I'm just trying to give a small example. Like I had a woman who, um, they decided to have children in older life and her husband actually, um, um, was a, a, a polio survivor. And so he needed an ability scooter and arm, arm, um, crutches. And, mm-hmm. and they had this, and they had adopted this very hyperactive, active daughter and morning was really chaotic for them because this daughter would bolt and she'd run off the elevator and he, could, he was worried she's going to get hit in the underground parking garage trying to get her to school. And she really wanted to be home in the morning to help this with this morning routine, but her job required her to be at work. And I said, do you think that you could speak that you could work from home for the first hour? And they're like, oh, no, I could never, no, no. But she'd never asked. She'd never asked. And so when she actually, and I challenged her, you know, you're assuming no, but you haven't asked. So when she went to HR and said, could I do flex hours? Could I do the first hour, whatever? And they were like, absolutely. And it was a complete game changer to the family, this one hour in the morning. And uh, so there's a lot of things where we make this assumption. I had another guy who had like, again, very hyperactive. Just funny. I, I do a lot of people. Um, you know, and, and finally he realized I could fight with my kids and fight with my kids or we could move out of the city onto a big farm where these guys could like ride dirt bikes and climb trees and burn this energy off and I'll find a job that I can work at remotely. And he changed his career to do something that was a more remote, not, not you know. So you, we can make creative, hard, courageous choices, and we need to have maybe more inspiring stories um, of people yeah. who, who who just didn't get model off. it. 
Yeah, we don't have to get on the the treadmill gerbil wheel of life and just assume just because nobody's figured it out that we can't. Right. I love it. So now, yesterday you talked, um, you you shared so many good nuggets yesterday. I wish I could have recorded it. Um, But you, you, you talked a lot and the audience talked a lot too about some of the challenges that they're facing right now with their kids. Um, Technology being one of them, uh, depending obviously on the age and stage of the children, it could be more behavior management and then it could be real life, you know, coming home drunk was your, you know, last Facebook, uh, Facebook post there. Um, you also talk about family meetings as a way of addressing those. Now, I've known about family meetings since my kids were in kinder school. I have always loved the idea, and I can be completely honest and vulnerable here to say it felt uncomfortable because it's not how I was raised and it didn't feel natural or normal, whatever, you know, whatever term you yeah. want to put to that. And, and so I allowed that to stop me because it was like, well, how, you know, how do I justify my position when my family's going to look at me like I have four eyes because I'm asking yeah, yeah. to have this family meeting? Well, now fast forward, my kids are in their teens and it's doubly hard um, to do that. But maybe we can talk a little bit about um, using family meetings as a source of you know, really helping the family unit come together. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, first, I, I just want to, and I know you're going to give a shout out to, to, to point people to, to more stuff for me, but just because- I am, yes. I know. But just because you mentioned, I want people to know that um, even though we didn't record my talk yesterday, I have tons of content on my YouTube channel, including videos of my family's own- um, uh, meetings, family meetings. And I have a whole series uh, for adolescents uh, called the hashtag family talk, which is about preventing underage drinking and tons and tons of resources for parents. So if you're at that age and stage, please go check out the resources there. But the idea of the family meeting is part of Adlerian psychology. It's part of this new way of doing what we call democratic parenting. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to combine firm and friendly approaches where we win children's cooperation which is a new way of parenting versus forcing compliance and obedience, which is our history. To your point about this feels really weird. We weren't raised this way. It's why we need so much support around it. So if we think about what it's like to be in a democracy, we're talking about democracy in the home with strong leadership. Parents, I'm not, parents need to give strong leadership, but democracy is the idea that if you're going to live in a, in a group, in a tribe, in a family, in a community, in a country, then you need to have a voice. You need to have a say about the things that impact your life. And so in the greater society, that's great. You get to go to town hall. You get to fight a bill. You get to vote for your prime minister or whatever. You have a voice. It doesn't mean you always get your way, but you have a say. And that sense that you can have a say about the rules you have to live by, that you can influence the world you're living in, is really super important. Um, and so when we can bring that to the family to say, I'm not a dictatorship, we're a family, we're a team, and we need to figure out how we're going to live together. We need to figure out what's best for all. And we understand that you would really like to have chicken fingers for dinner, but we can't have chicken fingers every day because your brother over here really likes spaghetti and he'd like to have spaghetti every day. And I'd like to have salmon. So how do three people with completely different things come together Um, and no, mom can't make three different meals because that would be too much burden on one person. That seems unfair to her time and energies. How can we figure this out? How can we figure out the problems of living together? How can we figure out our differences, which are embraceable and lovable, but we still all have to get along. 
without anybody feeling pushed, put upon. Yep. How do we work that out? And kids are so creative. When you actually push the problem back to them and you don't say like, it's my problem and I got to solve it. And you know, I, I think you heard at the talk, the one was saying yeah. like, you know, we can't get out the door in the morning. I've tried everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, what have you tried? She goes, well, all my ideas. I go, oh, <laughs> your, all ideas. your ideas. The question is, what are the kids ideas? Because they're, 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 they're actually very aware of fairness. They're they very are. aware of fairness. And so when we pose it just as this isn't people behaving badly, this is just the complexity of being humans who live in the group. How are we going to figure this out and invite them into problem solving and say, and we'll just, we'll just try it for a week. And if we don't like it, we'll tweak it. And isn't that what business meetings are like? Exactly. You know? We do this so innately in business. It's, it's an iterative process, right? Yeah. We'll come back. We'll look at old, old business on the agenda. We'll have a check-in around it. Did it work? Do we need to tweak it? Do we need to throw it out? Do we need to start again? Do we just make... It's an iterative process until you come to something that, that actually is seemingly working for everybody until the problems seem to dissipate. So if you just once a week check in around some of these things and let the kids use their creative muscle, use their great budding mental capacities and problem-solving skills, um, you, you would just be amazed at how much cooperation and how invested your kids become in stakeholders to how the family actually runs. It's incredibly empowering. It's a wonderful life skill. It is. It's huge. And I think this is where I've always resonated with the Adlerian philosophy and psychology is that empowerment piece and the contribution piece and the, the sense of belonging that has to happen. Um, I remember, you know, Althea from kinder school, the first thing she impressed upon me was, you know, why do you think people have a, a, a gang mentality or they end up in groups? there's a sense of belonging there for them and how intrinsic that is and how it weaves itself through our lives. And so the family meetings is a way of having our children and all members of the family, really, because we all have a voice in it, to feel like we belong. And you talked a lot about that yesterday, about that tribe and the importance of having that tribe. Absolutely. That, that those contributions through problem-solving ideas, having input, that's what makes you feel like, I'm shaping this group. I have value in this group. I'm participating in the dynamics of this group. And that's what makes a sense of affiliation and belonging. And, um, you know, it, it's, we've tossed that word belonging around so easily. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned, I, I, tap in and ask some people, where do you feel you belong? When did you, what conditions do you need to feel that you belong? Um, and you'll discover a lot of adults will say, you know, I'm not sure I've ever really, really felt. Felt it. I've felt it ever. Yeah. And that's heartbreaking, but it's, it is, it, we, we, you know, humans are wired for belonging and, and yet we have a hard time actually getting that accomplished. And when you look at, again, things I'm seeing regularly in my counseling practice, alienation, loneliness, loneliness is a lot of where depression and anxiety have some of those, those roots. Yeah. Um, and so isolation, loneliness is a huge problem. And it's, so as much as technology wires us, it's become a poor substitution for the pure, the, the in real life. And again, like I love technology and, and there's certainly ways that it does contribute to, to connectivity if used uh-huh. properly. Uh-huh. Um, but we can also have a lot of, of we have a lot of busyness. Yes. We can stay very busy with people in superficial ways that are not the same as feeling like somebody really has your back and knows you and sees you. If you're living through a mask or a filter, um, that's you're, you're, you're feeling like you're doing it, but you're not actually getting the soulful piece 
Um, and, and some people what do. What a some setup. People. It's such a setup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But listen, if you were that one transgendered 16-year-old living in Medicine Hat, Alberta, well, there's maybe not, not to be Medicine Hat, but I'm just saying. <laughs> but in a rural, yeah, a rural area. Yeah. You know, if, you're, if you're somebody who's in a rural area and, uh, and, and you're gender fluid or whatever it might be, and you're an outlier in your own community, how great that you have the internet and you can jump on some of these groups and actually find belonging um, you know, I've, I've got friends, for example, that um, their kids have very unique genetic uh, issues and they build these, these parent communities with parents around the world because like how many people have kids with charge syndrome or whatever. And those things can be so bonding. It's the only place that other people get what they're going through. Yeah. So I, I, I by no means diminish it, but, um, but we do have to pay attention to how we spend our time, how authentic and how connecting we are with just the people just the people in our world. Like my daughter's yeah. moving into a high rise for she's she's been in a basement apartment. She's finally getting like a real apartment. And my brother said, Oh, thank goodness she's on the whatever floor. She goes, you know, the people on the second floor won't make as many friends as the people on the 20th oh, floor. Oh, hilarious. Because they'll get a longer <laughs> elevator ride to actually say, Hey, how are you? Nice weather, whatever. And I want to be on the 20th elevator ride with everyone. The guy that gives me my subway token, the person who sells me my hot dog on the street. Look around at the people you're with every day and just remember they're humans and say hello hello. Yeah, we forget that. And you know, I, I'm seeing that that is a, obviously a really big complaint with parents and children is their faces are stuck in their phones and in their iPads consistently. And so maybe before you leave us, because I do know you have a, a, another appointment, but um, how, do, how do you suggest we handle that technology piece? And I know that's a really loaded question because there's a lot of components, but maybe just in, in, a, in a technique or a strategy of, you know, our first go-to is I'm confiscating that from you. Yeah. And that's obviously not that's effective. Yeah. Not that's effective. No, I mean, it just makes your parents mad at you, your kids mad at you and they'll retaliate and it doesn't change their behavior. You know, that's, that's really what it comes mm-hmm. down to. So what I would say is, um, you, you want to have a positive attitude about technology and, and you want to model it just the same with your kids, which is technology, be, technology should be life enhancing. It's one of the things you're putting on your plate at the buffet. (laughs) And so I don't want to think of it as something that has time boundaries. Once your kids get a little bit more into like calendaring, looking up the weather, you know, uh, doing homework online. Like there's so many things that we interface with the screen, like Mm -hmm. online banking. I'm not going to say your time's up. You can't online bank. So, uh, you know, time is not, is not really the, the proper way to go. It's about a relationship with technology and using it for our betterment. And everyone deserves recreation, um, but YouTube binging can then eat out, load up your plate, and you realize, I have been lost in entertainment land or Candy Crush land or whatever. Mm-hmm. What does that look like in terms of, you know, what I think a, well, a, a well-rounded person's life should look like? Um, now, you're going to get some kids that are complete aficionados, and we need them because they're going to be the next people that are programming they're going to be the next Bill Gates. And yeah, you know what? They're going to be on their computers a little bit longer, just the same way that your kid who loves music is going to play their guitar longer. Like some people are going to be aficionados. We got to have room for that too, right? So it's not just having the app. It's what they're doing on the app, whether it's passive consumption, whether it's creativity, whether it's used to like perk up somebody who's depressed or whether it's bullying. Yeah. It's, it's how it's used and it's how we, um, it's how we have control over it so that our life is more meaningful. And so thinking about, 
Time Well Spent, which is Tristan Harris's original nonprofit organization. He now has an org- he used to be the ethicist for Google. He now has a, a, a new name and a new organization uh, called um, uh, Humane Design, mm-hmm. which is talking about how developers should be mindful about the course of history of humans to use what we know about persuasion, stickiness of eyeballs, so that we so that our interface with technology should not be manipulative and downgrade humanity. So I think we want to start media training with our kids, bring Mm -hmm. them into the conversation. They're a lot smarter than we think. I think a great thing, um, Apple phone now, and you can a bunch of different apps, just track your time where just awareness. Where are you spending your time? Are you okay with the amount of time? What is your mood when you get off each of these things? Are you frenetic because you've been playing a single single shooter game and and now you're are you angry because you're like you know I I posted this picture and nobody liked it and now I you you know if you're agitated if you're angry if if it's not mood enhancing is it really worth it so I think there's a a lot around awareness and tracking and then having conversations where we can get kids to say boy um yes help me constrain it which is what we can do now because we can say these apps go off after a certain amount of time or after right. nine o'clock or whatever. And, and we can create some containment limits and boundaries, but they have to be co, co-created with our kids because otherwise they'll just hack around them. You know, you won't let yep. me play my single shoe. I'm going to Jacob's. Yeah. Parents are more lenient. <laughs> exactly. We can play for, you know. So I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want my kids to go around my rules. I want them to buy into why they're logical and reasonable. Yeah. I love so, it. And so I think it's, it's about media literacy. It's about awareness. It's about being educated. It's about trusting that our kids are smart and they can get this stuff and that we're not trying to be controlling and imposing rules, that we have their backs and we're trying to help them see a bigger picture of themselves and see what it's all about. Um, yeah. I just say it's a big dialogue piece. It, it, it's huge. And it comes back to the uh, raising a family that's democratic and mm-hmm. treating them as social equals, which is huge. And I know we didn't even, there is so much that we can talk about when it comes to Adlerian psychology and parenting and all um, of that. And, um, and I know we've just skimmed the surface, but I, uh, you know, I know my listeners are probably going, okay, I want more. I want more. And we're going to give you how to get in touch with Allison and, and her YouTube channels and social media and Facebook lives and all the amazing groups that you have uh, on Facebook for support. Um, but I do hope that we could have you back again because oh, there's please. so much to talk about. And I know my, my podcast is not about parenting, but it factors into a lifestyle business and lifestyle entrepreneurs and people who are trying to create a business around a life they love. And how do we actually get to do Doing that and the foundation of that is our connection piece with our tribe and do we have the tribe and are we all working and feeling connected and belonging with that yeah and to your point michelle and to, and to the point of your podcast we don't live in silos we're complicated people and um and so you know we do need to address all the wonderful overlap of all the things that we are to everybody including business people yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Allison. Thank you. I look forward to the invitation back. Ah, wonderful. I look forward to it. Thank you. All right. Take care. Well, there you have it. Did I not tell you how amazing she really is? Allison, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. And I look forward to definitely having you back on the show. Now, if you loved this conversation as much as I did, then you're going to want to connect with Allison. So let me tell you how to do that. 
Allison is all over social media. She hosts parent talks on Facebook, has groups and live videos to help people just like you and me to ask questions, share ideas. And in addition to her amazing books, she has a fabulous YouTube channel that literally has tons and tons of support and strategies for the challenges that you and I face when it comes to being a parent and honestly, even just being human. I will leave everything in my show notes, which you guys can find at www.michellereese.com forward slash episode 17. So head on over there, connect with Allison, and take a moment to leave me a review on what you loved most about today's interview. Well, that's all I have for you today, guys. Thank you so much for being here with me, and I look forward to chatting with you soon. Bye for now.